0: You're listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, a relevant biblical community. For more information, visit houstonsfirst.org. Thank you so much, Houston's First, for having me back. Um, I'm proud of a church that honors your staff, wants to take care of your leaders, and has given Pastor Greg a chance to take sabbatical, do a little bit of R&R, as we would say in the military when he comes back next week. I know you're going to be blessed because of the chance that he's had to just refresh. I'm going to take a few minutes and explain to you about one of the most powerful moments of my career. I spent almost 23 years in the U.S. Army. But one of the most powerful moments of the time in the US Army was also one of the most painful. And it goes back for me to the time that I was a sergeant as an Army Ranger in Somalia. I was with you this fall. I'm not going to tell you the whole Black Hawk Down story all over again. But I will say this, when I was getting ready to leave Mogadishu, Somalia, when I was leaving the battlefield and getting on those airplanes and getting ready to fly away, because of the conditions that we left Somalia, it was a really, really tough moment for all of us. A lot of my buddies died. There was a lot of blood and a lot of body bags. And then the U.S. policy shifted overnight, and we got word, stop what you're doing, get on airplanes, leave, we're pulling out of Somalia completely. And I got ready to step onto that U.S. Air Force jet, and I was looking back over the city, and I started to ask the question, what was it all for? All of that blood, all of that fighting, what did it really amount to? if we're just gonna get pulled out of there at the last second and never really even got a chance to finish the mission that we were sent there for the first time. And I need you to understand something. I was a very committed Christian at the time. I was active in my faith. I was sharing my faith in Jesus with my buddies in the military. I was even leading Bible studies as a sergeant in the army. But I'm standing at the ramp of this aircraft and I'm looking over this city. That's the moment that God started to change my perspective. See, I devoted my entire life to the U.S. military and to accomplishing America's objectives, and then I started to look at my role on planet Earth through a different lens. I started to look at it through what I call the ten-thousand-year lens. And by the way, 10,000 years is not an arbitrary number. I'm a guy who believes the Bible to be the inspired word of God. So if I were to go back about 10,000 years ago, this is the moment where God created our first parents, Adam and Eve, and put them in the Garden of Eden. And when I look back over the course of 10,000 years, here's what I start to see. Nations rise, nations fall. Empires are created and empires crumble. Military forces accomplish great things on the battlefield, but decades, centuries later, it's all erased by history and by time. But there's one army. That 10,000 years after they were created continues to march forth into victory. And that painful moment in Mogadishu, Somalia, is where I really started to sense the importance of the greatest army that's ever been assembled in human history, the army of King Jesus. And I'm here today to tell you I wish I would have discovered this sooner. You see, for me, the 10,000-year test was the moment of asking myself the question, what I'm doing today, will it really matter 10,000 years ago? The battles that I fought in Afghanistan and Iraq, what I did in Panama and in Kuwait and in Somalia, will it matter 10,000 years from now? And the easy answer to that question is no. But what happens in a man or a woman's soul, that echoes into eternity. And that's the moment that my life started to shift into a new direction. That's the length of the army of God. It took me a little bit longer to start to get a vision for the breadth of the army of God. So on this summer road trip, for those of you in the Houston's First Family at home and here, what I want to do is I want to take you to my little corner of South Georgia. And from there, I want to take you on a tour around the world. And I just really want to say, hey, Houston, thanks for welcoming this guy from South Georgia with the heat and humidity that's found only in Houston and in South Georgia. Thanks for making me feel at home. (laughs) See, I had a friend... Who made a documentary? This documentary is about a town in the suburbs of Atlanta, a city called Clarkston, and the subtitle of her documentary is The Most Diverse Square Mile on In America, And really, it is. It's the place where the Immigration and Naturalization Services, they put people from all over the planet, refugees, they're not really sure what to do with them, so we put them all in this suburb of Atlanta. My friend who made this documentary, I wanted to tell her, you know what, you're doing a great job telling the story of this diverse suburb city of Atlanta, but you kind of missed it with the subtitle, and you were about 100 miles too far to the north. You see, I live in Columbus, Georgia, the bordering community to Fort Benning, Georgia. This is the most diverse spot on planet Earth. In fact, I can show you one building in Fort Benning, Georgia, that is more diverse than the entire town of Clarkston, Georgia. I'll put it on the screens for you. This building has men and women from the entire Western Hemisphere. They'll come to Fort Benning, Georgia. They will spend weeks or months there, and then they'll go back to their countries all over the world, heavily influenced by the military, the U.S. military. And this is the moment that I started to catch a vision for what God could do if he got a hold of the US military. If he started to march through the ranks of the US military, how far his gospel could go all over the planet. And then I started to look at the military different. You see, right now, there are people from the United States Army in virtually every country on planet earth? What happens if the U.S. Army starts to march on his knees? What happens if Jesus gets a hold of the U.S. Army and they start to take their faith with them everywhere they go on planet earth? What would happen to the Great Commission if the U.S. military got a hold, if Jesus got a hold of the U.S. military and they just took Jesus with them everywhere they go? Like the U.S. Air Force, it's not just dominating the skies all over the globe, but is in countries and influencing the rest of the world's military. What would happen if God got a hold of the United States Navy, and every time that they landed at port in all of those sites all over the world, they stepped off of those ships and they took their faith with them and started talking to people about Jesus? What would happen to the gospel and the Great Commission? The Coast Guard that's everywhere. What about the U.S. Marine Corps that's in every embassy, American embassy all over the planet, not to mention on the boats with the U.S. Navy and all over the military? And then you have the U.S. Space Force. I don't, I don't even know what these guys do. I guess we created the Space Force to make sure that Pluto doesn't try to become a planet again. And if it does, we're gonna stop that from happening. (laughs) But it, it was the moment that God really got a hold of me and gave me a vision for his country, or for his kingdom, and for the US military. And from that moment forward, I kind of dedicated my life to helping warriors embrace Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and then just take that faith with them wherever the U.S. government sends them and become the greatest missionary force on planet Earth and just happen to do it with your tax dollars and by the power of the U.S. government backing them up. And so I'm just going to shamelessly tell you this. I am here today on a recruiting trip to recruit you into the most Powerful army ever assembled, the only one that will matter 10,000 years from now, into the army of the Lord Jesus Christ. And for those of you that are already part of that army, I'm here to challenge you to lay it all down and to make whatever sacrifice is necessary to see that kingdom advance until every nook and cranny on planet earth has heard about King Jesus and until he's coming back to take his children home with them. So what I want to do with you for just a second is I want to take you on a tour of Psalm 67 in your Bible. If you got a Bible in front of you, would you go ahead and flip open to Psalm 67? If you got a paper Bible, you can pretty much just open it right to the middle, and it will probably come out pretty close to Psalm 67. I'm going to take you on a tour of this missionary psalm, but we're going to look at it through the eyes of a warrior. And I think you're going to see a vision for your role in God's great army marching forward to accomplish the mission that Jesus left his people on planet Earth to accomplish. It's what we call as Christians the Great Commission. It is to spread his name to every person on the planet. And I want you to see your role in that mission from Psalm 67. So here's the first thing that I wanna point out to you. God favors people who follow him. Now you're you're not gonna be able to miss this language from Psalm 67. It's all about Israel, but it's not just about Israel, it's about Israel's role in the nations and why God decided to bless this little country and bless these people and do something amazing through Israel. Let me read let's just take this bite-size. Let me read the first 2 verses for you of Psalm 67 and I want you to see God's blessing poured out on Israel and then spread to the nations. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine on us. If I can pause for just a second. If you were in Israel and you heard those words, you know exactly what you're hearing because this is the high priest blessing that God told Aaron to give to the nation of Israel back in Numbers chapter six. And Israel recognized these words, but they missed the next two. If you're in the habit of writing in your Bible, you really need to circle these next two words because they're extremely important. The whole Psalm hangs on these two words. May God be gracious to us and bless us. May he make his face shine on us. Here they are. So that your way may be known on the earth and your salvation among the nations. That, so, that phrase was why God wanted to bless Israel. And Israel understood that God was going to put his favor on them. But then they started to take it for granted. And eventually they started to expect God's favor and they took it for granted to the point that he sent foreign armies in there to to, um, destroy his people and to take them away into captivity because they had been keeping the blessing for themselves and holding on to it. And they forgot why he was showering his favor on them in the first place. So I want you to do me a favor for just a second. Humor me, will you? Look over at the person next to you and just look them in the face and tell them you're pretty awesome. Go ahead. Okay, now that exact same person, look them in the face and tell them, but I'm more awesome. Because here's what happened in ancient Israel. And if you're not careful, this is going to happen to you too. Israel started to see the blessing of God. They started to experience the favor of God. They started to expect the favor of God. And they thought God blessed them because they're so awesome. And they forgot the reason why God was blessing them. is so that they could turn around and make a huge impact on their neighbors. And the word nation that you just read in the Bible, that word refers to the pagan neighbors of Israel. It refers to those guys or gals on the border of Israel that worshiped foreign gods and that made Israel's life miserable. And what the psalmist, we don't even know this guy's name, but what he was saying to Israel is, do you know why God was so good to you in the first place? So that you would turn around and you would bless other people with it. And the neighbors to your north that don't know about the God of Israel, they would find out about him because of you. And I'm afraid that my prayers, although they were really sincere when I was a sergeant in the army, they also sounded pretty selfish. Like, God, I need you to do this for me. And God, I want this from you. And here's my, my shopping list. God, take out a pen because this is going to take a few minutes. I need you to write a few things down. And I started asking God for his favor and his blessing. Please don't hear me wrong. There's nothing wrong with asking God for his favor. But if you hold on to it for yourself and you become selfish with it, that favor can become very dangerous to your soul just like it was to Israel. In fact, I'm going to make a challenge to you tonight. When you lay down in bed, if, go ahead and ask God. Shamelessly ask God to bless your business and to make it grow and make lots of money. I'm serious. This is not a trick. Ask God to bless your marriage and make it epic and the kind of marriage that you know your friends and your neighbors wish they had. Ask him to bless your grades at school, but make him this promise with it. God, if you will do this, I will take all of your favor and all of your blessing, and I will pass it on to people that don't know you and that are far from you. And I promise you, your prayers will start to sound a lot less selfish. In fact, your prayers are going to start to sound like a general on the battlefield whose first concern is the mission, and second concern are the men and women that she leads or he leads on the battlefield. God really does want to favor his people that follow him. But he doesn't want us to hoard it and to hold on to it. You see, what God really wants to do is he wants to lead us. This is really what Psalm 67 is saying next, that God leads people that love him. And he wants to be their judge. He wants to be their ruler. Let's pick up where we left off, starting in verse 3. Listen to what the psalm says next. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all of the peoples praise you. If you're wondering, who exactly are these people that you're talking to? Well, he answers the question in the same sentence. I'm talking about all of the people on every part of the globe. Let all of the peoples praise you but the nations rejoice and shout for joy for you judge the people with fairness and you lead the nations on earth. And if that word judge for you starts to make you think about somebody in a black robe with a gavel, if you're thinking judge Judy right now, that's not the kind of judge that the Bible is referring to. The Bible is using this language of the leader of the country. The policies that they enact, the agenda of the government, the the priorities of the leader, that's what that word judge really is referring to in Psalm 67. And the Psalm is saying, God, when you lead people, and almost always, God, you choose to lead people through people, so when you lead nations through leaders, People's lives are better. It's fair. There's justice. People rejoice when you live in a land that's ruled by a good leader. Every parent in this room, every grandparent wants the next generation to grow up in a better society, a freer country, a more just land than you grow up in. I don't even need to know you to know that's deep in your heart. That's in the heart of every human being. The problem is that leaders are highly tempted to grab power and to hold on to it and use it for their selfish ends. And because of the sin nature that infects all of us on the planet, power corrupts and absolute power can corrupt people absolutely. There's this fascinating sentence in the Old Testament. It's 1 Kings chapter 5. And in the history of Israel, David, the most powerful, the most popular leader in Israel up to this point has just died. His son Solomon has just taken over the throne. He is the new leader in Israel. And there's a a kingdom to the border of Israel and Hiram is the king of that land. And Hiram sends a note to King Solomon and Hiram says something fascinating to me. 1 Kings chapter 5, Hiram says, You know, God really does love Israel. And here's how I know it God put a man like you in charge of Israel, Solomon. Now, if you don't know Solomon's story, the Bible tells us that he is the wisest man that ever lived. Nobody before him, nobody after him. Basically, short of the Lord Jesus Christ, there's never been a guy on planet Earth that was wise like Solomon. And Hiram says, I know God loves these people because he gave them a leader like you, Solomon. And then if you're like me, you're thinking, well, does that mean the opposite is true? Like, if God is mad at us, he gives us a moron for a president or for a prime minister. Is that what you're saying, Hiram? I won't go off on a tangent there, but I could spend hours on this one. But leaders make life better. Leaders can make life miserable for people. And there's really only one perfect leader out there. There's really only one perfect man that's walked on planet Earth. So there's really only one person that is worthy to lead nations, all of the nations of the Earth. You know who this perfect leader is that I'm talking about. What's his name? His name is Jesus, and basically what you're hearing from this missionary psalm in the Old Testament is when God is on the throne and leading people, man, life is better, but when there are sinful men and women leading, life gets miserable. So God, I just want all of the peoples of the earth to be blessed. I want us all to rejoice because I want you to be in charge, not just of my little corner of the world, I want you to be in charge of every country and every corner of the world, which brings us to the last part of Psalm 67. And this is where Psalm 67 just gets honest with us. God really does favor people and he really does lead them that are following him and that love him and that are completely committed to him. But here's how the Psalm ends. This really short Psalm reminds us that God promotes, he does something beautiful for the people that will proclaim him and make his name known to the ends of the earth. Listen, Jesus called fishermen and farmers and turned them into the most powerful army on planet earth. And he gave that army a mission when he was standing on a hillside outside of Jerusalem and getting ready to leave them and to go back to heaven. And he gave his followers what we call the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. And here's what he said, I want you to start going and keep going until every human on the planet has heard my gospel and what I have done for them on the cross. And for 2000 years, that army has been marching forward But I started to look at it like, what happens if every guy and gal in the military, if Jesus got a hold of their soul and they went tomorrow as a U.S. government representative into a closed country where you can't send missionaries and you can't share the gospel, but they were unashamedly followers of Jesus Christ and they just started telling people there about their faith while they were doing their job for the U.S. military? What would happen to the Great Commission? if the US military became this powerful missionary force, what would happen for the gospel? Listen to how the psalm ends. Let the peoples praise you, O God, let all of the peoples praise you. And here it is, the conclusion of the Great Commission. The earth produced its harvest, God our God blessed us. God will bless us, and here's the final story, and all of the ends of the earth will fear him. And if you're thinking, wait a second, this word harvest doesn't make sense. I, I get, this sounds like a, uh, a missionary charge. Why do we have farming language in Psalm 67? Well, for the farmers in this room, you knew what the people of Israel knew. You could Kill the land, and you could sweat into that soil, and you could plant the seeds, and you can pull the weeds, but you have no control over the crop. You don't control the rains. You don't control the sun. You don't control a dead seed sprouting back to life and bringing forth a harvest. You have no control over that. That is in God's control, and only God can control the harvest, But every farmer in Israel, just like the farmers today know, the more crop that I make, it's not just more food for my table. It's more tables for my neighbors and their neighbors and tables around the world that have food because God decided to bring forth a huge harvest. And now peoples all over the earth are blessed because of this harvest. And the harvest that Psalm 67 is talking about is the fear of the Lord. Now, please don't miss this word because it's not the, uh oh, I just messed up. God's mad at me and he's going to strike me dead with a bolt of lightning fear. This is the word that you would use to fall down on your knees and to lift up your hands and to praise him and worship him in holy awe. To say, He is so awesome. He is so amazing that I want to follow Him. I want to honor Him. I want to live for Him. I don't avoid sin because I'm afraid of getting caught. I avoid sin because I want to honor my Father in heaven. And what the Bible is saying is man, when people start to act like that, their neighbors take notice. And then pretty soon their neighbors are impacted by that and other neighbors until it spreads to the end of the earth. Let me take you back to my little corner of the United States in South Georgia, Columbus, Georgia. We started a church a couple of years ago called Two Cities with the unashamed goal of reaching the U.S. military. The guys and gals that will come to Fort Benning from around the world, our goal is to just impact them with the gospel. And when they leave and they go back to their countries, they leave different. And when the warriors that pass through Fort Benning, Georgia pass through our church, our goal is that they are so impacted by Jesus. They love him so much that they can't help but talk about him wherever the army sends, wherever the U.S. military sends them next. And I am convinced that force can accomplish the Great Commission. I'm convinced that they can do it in our lifetime. And so now is my recruiting appeal. Brace yourself. Because for some of you in this room, you've been playing around with your faith. You've just been toying around with it. And to be honest, for you, This faith in Jesus is no more than an intellectual belief that there really was a guy who really did live 2,000 years ago. I read about him in a book, but he's no different to you than Abraham Lincoln or George Washington because you've never met him personally. And what I want to do is challenge you to take a next step the first and probably the most important next step that you will ever take in your life is the next step of faith the First step of faith to say, I am starting out today. I am renouncing my sin. I am turning from my selfish ways. I am surrendering to Jesus. He is the king of my life. And from this point forward, he calls the shots, which means wherever he sends me, I'm going to go. And for some of you in this room, you need to take that first step of faith. I'm going to pray for you in just a second. There are others of you in this room And you've been asking for the favor of God and you've been hoarding the favor of God because the truth is you haven't taken this second next step. You haven't got serious about the Great Commission, serious enough that you're willing to do whatever it takes and make whatever sacrifices necessary to see Jesus's name spread to the ends of the earth. And for my brothers and sisters in this room who know Christ personally, I'm calling you out if you've been hiding your faith and I'm challenging you to be the agent that helps bring the gospel of Jesus to every nook and cranny on planet earth. But there's something that everybody in this room can do. You can join me every single night before I go to sleep, I lay down and I pray for the guys and gals that serve the U.S. military because we wouldn't be in this free country and have the opportunity to talk about Jesus today if it wasn't for people like them. So wherever it is, whatever's going on in your heart, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now, I wanna pray for you. And I want you to just be silent and listen to him for a second. And then after this prayer, I'm gonna invite you to get up out of your seats. And if you need to do business with God, to come and talk to one of these prayer partners in the aisle. But would you just bow? And would you let me pray for you right now? God in heaven, I'm laying before you the men and women that are in this room, on this campus, and online. And you know them completely, so maybe there's some people that are just trying to figure out this Christianity thing. They're not really sure what they believe. Maybe this is the holy moment where you're calling them out of their sin and you're taking a dead heart and you're turning it to a heart of flesh. You're making it alive for the first time. God, would you cause somebody right where they're sitting to say, Father, forgive me. Father, I'm a sinner. God, I don't deserve to go to heaven. I don't deserve eternal life. But here I am, I am surrendering my sin. I'm surrendering myself. I'm turning it all over to you right now. And I'm asking you to forgive me. And I'm asking you to change me. And God, you are big enough that you can hear from heaven. And if that prayer is sincere, I know you hear it. I know you honor it. And I know that you can change somebody right where they're sitting. Father, there are some people in this room that have probably been playing games with their life and I am praying that today is the moment that you cause them to drive a stake in the ground, to put a line in the sand and to say, I'm gonna spend the rest of my life doing something that's gonna matter ten 10,000 years from now. I'm gonna devote the rest of my life to advancing the Great Commission and to making Jesus's name known in my neighborhood and to the nations. God, would you give them the joy of knowing that they are walking in step, marching in formation with the greatest army that's ever been assembled, with the army of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then God, finally, I just want to say thank you for the guys and gals that strap on boots and pick up a weapon and serve our country and continue to keep us free. So right now, God, Whatever it is that you want to do in somebody's life, will you have your sovereign will and sovereign way? And would you cause people to respond, not to me, but to what they've heard from Psalm 67 today? It's in Jesus' name that I pray this. Amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. We invite you to worship with us at one of our four locations at The Loop, Cypress, Downtown, or Siena. Follow us on social media or visit us online at houstonsfirst.org.